Sponsor CBT Nuggets is IT training for IT professionals and anyone looking to build IT skills. If you want to make fully operational your networking, cloud, security, automation, or DevOps battle station, visit cbtnuggets.com slash cloud. That's cbtnuggets.com slash cloud. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Today's topic is infrastructure as software and why you, yes, you, listener right there, sitting right there, listening to my voice, you're a programmer. You might not think you're a programmer, but we are here to change your mind. Our guest today is Chris Nova. She is the Senior Principal Software Engineer at Twilio, and she has some really interesting thoughts about what the difference is between configuration management and writing software, and it's not as different as you might think, right, Ethan? Uh, basically, it's it's not different from her point of view, and uh, we're, we're going to get into something that, Ned, for me, this... I feel at this moment that my mind has been changed based on the arguments that Chris made, uh, saying that, hey, why make this big dividing line as an ops person between these special tools you use in domain-specific languages, such as you might uh, encounter with Terraform, let's say, and being an actual developer with a general purpose language? Because it's not that different. And I, I walked away fairly convinced, Ned. Yes, it was very uh, convincing and just very thought provoking. So enjoy this episode with Chris Nova. Well, Chris, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. And what we're here to talk about today is infrastructure's code and maybe infrastructure as software. Ooh. But let's let's level set for people who might be familiar with infrastructure's code. But everybody kind of has a different idea of what that is, what it means. So could you define how you think of infrastructure as code? Oh, well, starting off with the easy questions. Um, <laughs> let's, yeah, let's talk infrastructure as code. Yeah, so, so infrastructure is like, I'll, I'll do real quick. We'll do, we'll do like a, a breadth first approach at this. Uh, infrastructure to me is, is everything below what, what I would say an application team consumes, right? It's, it's, it's always been that, that point in solving technical problems where you go, this should just be solved. And as an application <laughs> engineer, I shouldn't have to deal with it. And of mm -hmm. course, that line means a lot of different things to a lot of different people and different teams have different concerns. But uh, if we can make the assumption that that's infrastructure, infrastructure as code is just bundling that up in a way that you can reproduce it. Right. And I, I look at this reproducibility element as kind of like the first big lesson in like the infrastructure, like, you know, industry, if you will, for the past, you know, 10 plus years. And we had gotten to a point where like we needed to, we needed to create infrastructure, we needed to manage it, and we needed to be able to repeat it. And we needed to do that well. And therefore, I think we started to naturally go down this, well, how do we capture that? How do we represent that? What does that look like? We should probably start writing some of this stuff down. And oh, hey, we're writing it down and now we can start actually responding to the things we're writing down. And that's just starting to sound an awful lot like a configuration language. And, <laughs> you know, enter Puppet, Chef, Terraform, Ansible, Salt, like, you know, the whole the whole nine yards there. And, and to me, that's that's infrastructure as code, right? Like, let's let's write this down. Let's define what it is. Let's express what it is. Let's declare it. And then let's write some, some software on the back end to, to bring that to life. Right, right. Yeah. One of the things that I've struggled with a little bit is the differentiation between infrastructure as code and configuration management, because in my <laughs> mind, they, they do two different jobs, but there's definitely some bleed over in terms of the tools and also kind of what they do, who's who has which responsibility. How do you feel about the differences between IAC and config management? I, I mean, I'm jaded, right? Like I'm old. I've been doing this for a while. So I feel like my my response here always I always want to break things down into computer science primitives. So like okay. I, I, I would also want to hear like your thoughts on this, because like I, I have my thoughts and I'm certainly happy to share them. But before we get into that, can I flip it around? Because I want I want to hear on your end no. what what is configuration management mean to you and, and how is it different? Um, for you, because because I want to see if that jives with what I have kind of stewing in the back of my brain. Right, there. right. Oh, the tables have turned. The microphone's <laughs> in front of me now. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, when I think about infrastructure as code, I generally think about immutable infrastructure or as close to immutable as we can get. If you need to make a change, you're going to destroy the infrastructure that's there and rebuild it using the code. Whereas config management means it's sort of a long running resource that needs to be mutated over time. And so your config management tool is going to be running on that thing or at least checking in with it and going, do you still match the way I want you to be? No. OK, I'm going to revert to or 
I have a new config I want to push down to you because there's a new requirement from the application or something. So, you know, if I put it into tool sets, like for me, Terraform handles the infrastructure as code, whereas something like Ansible or Puppet would be more config management. Yeah. So I'm glad I asked because because like this is why I want to get really crisp about which words we're using for what here, because like these these words mean different things to me. So Mm -hmm. like when I say infrastructure as software, it sounds like we're almost saying the same thing as infrastructure or sorry, as config management, Um, except for I'm probably taking it a step further and just drawing more of like an intellectual or cultural line around how we approach some of it. So like. You know, I had mentioned repeatability with like config or with see this is why I asked with infrastructure <laughs> as code, uh, which again this goes back to immutability and like whether it's immutable or not, whether you can change it or not, I think that's beside the point. I think what it is is we can recreate it from the same place. That's really the value I see with like the first big infrastructure as code. And yeah, like there's there's great things about you know making your infrastructure in such a way that you can't change it or you can't SSH into it or you can't do anything. There's a lot. There's some good patterns there. It's also really annoying if you need to like <laughs> change something and it's like I know I can SSH into all 100 nodes at the same time and we only need 80 percent of them to work and this is you know production's on fire and I just need to change a zero to a one. Spinning up all new infrastructure is that's hard. Right. Like and, right. and there's, you know, a lot of complexity with that. So I think there's, there's trade offs there. Well, it, it feels like we're making a distinction where there maybe isn't one, because if you deploy infrastructure as code, there is a configuration that is implicit in that. That is happening. There is still a config that's going on. But yeah. Ned, going back to your definition, it feels like you're making a distinction between here's a here's an object that has a configuration. I send it out into the world. And if it doesn't do what I need, I'm going to destroy it and make another one that's got a different configuration, as opposed to I'm going to change the thing that's out there and tweak its configuration. And then it's then I that's configuration management to you. Is that how you're making the drawing the line? Yeah, that's that's where I've drawn the line before. But it sounds like I I might be wrong about that. So I'm curious to hear what what Chris was about to bring Mm, up uh, in, in terms of how you're thinking about config management. So I, when I think of config management, I, I hate to say it, but I think of C++ templates. I think of Helm charts. I think of, you know, Terraform, Turing, complete configuration languages, because I think of like, yes, we need something that's going to reconcile that state over time, which is really a two-part process of first observing the state of the world and then reconciling it. Um, but I think when I think config management, I think it's the tools and it's the idea that like we 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 express what we want, but then we, we want to be able to tweak it for different places. And there's some sort of management system in place that allows us to like basically render those tweaks uh, and bring them to life on like a, a conditional basis. So this is why I started finally just like throwing my hands in the air and calling, drawing the distinction between infra as code and infra as software, which is like config's great, but we need to start understanding that there's a whole world of how we reconcile that config that that we can play with as well. And then I've, I said that is that's the software component. And we can either try to standardize that or we can start to just finally just accept the fact that we're an engineering team and we probably ought to be building or at least contributing to a, a substantial part of, of whatever that software is. I think I sort of dealt with that a little bit back in the in the early days of PowerShell desired state configuration. It was a tool where you could write your own modules for desired state and you had to create a get set and a test component to component to each module. And then you had to script out how it checked for the state and then compared it against desired state and then ran a set of things to change what it just checked to match what the desired state was. And that sounds like like that's more software than it is just straight up configuration, right? Yeah, and that's the point, right? It's like, I feel like the config is so tangential to all of this, so ancillary. In fact, I want less config, (laughs) right? Like I I want on and off, that's your config. And I want the software to be responsible for doing all of these if statements and all of these conditional comparisons and, and understanding what this means to us. I think the problem is when we start expressing things in config, it's a slippery slope to go from we have a few fields to we have a thousand fields to we have a thousand turn complete fields to we're now building applications in config land. And that, to me, <laughs> violates all of this in the first place, because it's like, that's why we have software. So I don't know. I feel like I'm a bit egregious when I say things like standardizing infrastructure management was probably a necessary evil, but ultimately it was one of the biggest disservices we could have done as an industry. 
It feels like you don't want to have to care about the infrastructure thing. The infrastructure and the config are like one thing that we deal with. We define it, we create it. And in the virtual world, in the cloud world, that makes perfect sense. Now, if I go old school and talk about network stuff, something that was a six-figure spend and it lives there forever, then you're in the config management world forever with that physical, expensive object. In the cloud world, what is the point of thinking that way? That's how I'm interpreting what you're saying, Chris. So, I mean, and to be clear, like I, I work at Twilio now and, you know, I, I'm a senior principal engineer on our bare metal cube team where we have, you know, we have three slash, I think slash 2022s, I want to say, and we deal with BGP routes and we're in bare metal networky Kubernetes land, right? Like we're, we're pixie booting servers and we're, yeah. we're dropping ner- nodes and we're, we're having to write software to reconcile that. And like, I'm, I'm opening iDRAC consoles in my browser mm-hmm. every once in a while. Like it's, it's old school, right? Yep, like it's, yep. it's the real deal. And in that world, it totally like, there is this big conflict of interest when it looks, when you, it comes to how we manage like these big stateful workloads versus how we do things in the cloud. And ultimately, like, if you look at the cloud, like that's your abstraction, right? Like I, I'll take a tool like cops. Cause I worked on it and I see you have up, up on your license plate there. So I'm assuming you <laughs> also worked on cops. Um, but like we, we took all these, these, paradigms in the cloud, we abstracted them. And I feel like we did a really good job at, at writing a meaningful abstraction that did one thing and do it well. Whereas I look at things like like Terraform that just rewrites the EC2 object in the form of a provisioner and says, yeah. great, now you have yet another abstraction. That's a one-to-one abstraction between what we have in the cloud. And I'm just like, I just don't know if there's any value in that, right? I don't mm-hmm. know if bringing it from a HTTP API to a ghost struct is really introducing all that much more value as, as a management tool. So mm-hmm. anyway, I, I think about this stuff a lot. <laughs> Thank Yeah. So uh, one term you brought up a few times was Turing complete. And that was something that I saw in the blog post that, that sparked this whole conversation. Um, and as someone who has a CS degree, I, I like totally understand what Turing complete means. But uh, um, maybe you could explain it to the audience for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I love I love this term because to me, this is like we've alluded to this, like, where do you draw the mental boundary? This is it for me. This is the line in the sand. Right. And Turing complete just means that you have a computer in the most primitive form of what we as humans can think of as a computer, which means you give it a set of instructions and it can compute those instructions. And really what that everything in computer science can be boiled down to pretty much three basic principles, which is the ability to have a concept of memory, to remember things, the ability to iterate over things, and the ability to have a single logical switch. And with those three things, you can build recursion, you can build iteration, you can build computer systems. And that's, that's what a computer is at, at, in its most primitive form. And the whole point there is that one of those three is a logical switch. The moment you introduce a logical switch into your config, you've, you're no longer in the config business, you're in the application building business. And that is a super slippery slope to get down because we all, we all see it. We all want to have an if statement that says if production <laughs> TLS, if not production, don't TLS. We want to do that. That's what we do. We're humans. Right. But like, I'm just saying, it's like I, I talk about this children's book. If you give a moose a muffin, right? Like, if you mm. introduce pro- a production switch for TLS, you might as well introduce a production switch for this other thing. And if you're going to do it in production, you might introduce a switch for, for dev and for stage. And then you start introducing application switches. And then you start introducing uh, application switches based on what cloud they're running <laughs> in or for what team they're running for, or for, you know, like oh. what version you want to run. And then before you know it, you're back to software land, but you've done it all in configuration management land. Well, your, your tone suggests that, that this slippery slope adding all these conditions is is a negative or a bad thing. Is that what you're trying to say? Or just making the point that this is the road you're going down if you do this? It's just making the point that this is the road you're going down to, if you do it. And like, I, again, I'll, let's go back to C++ templates, right? We, we wrote C++ templates to abstract out configuration to make our life easier. All I need to say, a, it's a three letter word. It's called Lua. That's all I need to say for anybody to understand that that is, you can start writing Turing complete applications there. And that's why I draw the line in the sand is like, if it is a Turing complete system, it's a programming language. If it's a programming language, we should treat it as a programming language. And there's reasons as programmers, we do things like we have, we have feature work, we test our code, 
we, you know, there's a lifetime generation upon generation of programming language constructs and how you manage teams of engineers around programming languages. And I feel like we throw all that out the window when we start dealing and turning complete config management. So that's, I, I feel like this is like, I told you politics were going to come up. I feel like configuration management is analogous to late stage capitalism. This is just where we're going to end up, right? Like this is just what happens when you start putting if statements in your config is you're going to end up with an application, whether you call it that and think of it as that or not. Okay. Yeah. So if I'm taking just a bare, what, if, if you could draw like your ideal config that didn't have any of this stuff in it, what would be in the config? And then what would be in the software that implements that config? So uh, if you look at the Kubernetes cluster API project, we, we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, if we wanted to create a holistic Kubernetes API that spanned multiple clouds, what does that look like? And we, we looked at CNI, we looked at container storage, we looked at a lot of these successful projects or, or paradigms in Kube. And what we found out is that like, there's kind of two main patterns. You either have a very empty set of configuration or you have a very verbose set of configuration with a lot of switches. And uh, there's obviously trade-offs to each of these, but when you look at having a static config, we, we found out that, that it actually just makes more sense to just declare very, very small amounts of common logic. Like what Kubernetes version do you want? And, and then we actually what we found out is really trying to pull too much of that into the config was a bit of an anti-pattern. And really what we're saying here is we actually just need to change the control, the, the piece of software that reconciles that config in different environments. So it turns out that we, we just wanted to say run Kubernetes 1.15, but we wanted that 1.15 to mean different things in different clouds. And that is that's the big paradigm switch is mm. we actually don't put the logic of what each cloud should do in the config, we we just replace the controller that reconciles that logic in different environments. And when we went through that exercise, we actually found out that we really don't need to declare all too much. We actually are now writing software in Go and writing unit tests. And we now have a lifetime of small micro projects. You know, this is the AWS controller. This is the the Azure controller, this is the VMware controller, and each of these just interpret a very slim set of config differently. And then we started to find out that there's actually the AWS public topology where we do public subnetting controller, and then we do the AWS private topology where it's all private and locked down and you need a Bastion server to get into the subnets. And, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, and these two controllers can share some common libraries, but they're really intrinsically different. And we discovered this was this was more of a software engineering problem than it was a config management problem, which is why when I hear things like config management, my brain goes C++ templates, Helm charts, <laughs> putting all this cloud specific stuff into to all of the config. And I'm like, I don't think that's what we actually need here. I don't think that's what we actually want to do. It's what we want to do, but it's not what we should do. Right. So to me, if I'm not writing that software, I'm just consuming the software. So I have a config. I want to use cluster API to create a cluster in AWS. Not having those fields available in, con in config is somewhat limiting to me as the consumer, because now I'm reliant on a software developer to write that software to implement that portion of the config because I can't be more specific about it. Do you see that as a big limitation or is that is that a feature, not a bug? I, all of the above, right? Like, I, I think in a perfect world, I'm challenging the idea that infrastructure management teams, infrastructure operators should also be software engineers. I, that's, that's, that's new. That's hard. There's, there's a lot that goes into that, that. That's a very loaded statement. I also think that like there's something to be said about if we are in a world where we have generic config and we are in a world where we have use case specific config, Let's just put things where, where it goes, right? Like there's nothing wrong with pulling out EC2 instance sizes into the AWS specific component here, right? And, and, and making that a flag that you consume. I think where you run into trouble is where you try to over standardize and you try to say, let's, let's give t-shirt sizes to all the clouds and let's have that, you know, a small translate to uh, EC2, you know, large or, you know, and then you're getting into these weird anti-patterns of how, why has a small, a large, and, and you're trying to like make all these assumptions. And I feel like Kubernetes really 
has given us a lot of value in abstracting things, but in a weird way, it's probably over abstracted a lot and, and put a lot of complexity between what you're actually trying to do and, and what the software is actually going and doing for you. Right. You said something really important to me there, which is we are, we're asking infrastructure operators right now to also be software engineers. And I know that we've heard that from the audience. They, they felt that pain of, I, you know, I had my way of operating things before, but now you're telling me I need to know how to write, you know, full blown Go code or I need to learn the entire HCL language for hat for, you know, Terraform. What would you think of being the ideal way that infrastructure operations should handle things and what should be the domain of software engineers? I mean, I, I, I think in, in my mind, when I look at an infrastructure engineer, I like they're like the Navy SEAL of the, the engineering org. Right. Not only do they have to do the same thing applications engineers need to do, but they need to do it underwater with people shooting at them and at midnight right like with scuba gear on and and I've, I've kind of feel like that's 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 really what we're saying here is we need to go above and beyond and that that's that's hard that's challenging and i i don't think i don't think we're doing anything too terribly different than what we're doing today when you think about it i i wrote this this project called naml which stands for not another markup language which takes a one-to-one comparison of a go file and puts it up line by line against a YAML file. And as it turns out, there's, there's actually not that there's it's syntax, like, like trivial syntax is really the only big differentiator between, uh, you know, Kubernetes deployment.yaml and a Kubernetes deployment.go. And I, I don't really think that anyone who is, who is approaching some of this configuration management and is learning how to do, you know, HashiCorp config languages or learning Chef or learning Puppet or any of these. I don't, I don't think that's any harder than learning how to write an if statement and go I re, or mm. Python or, or JavaScript, right? Like I don't, it's really not that big of a difference. <laughs> and I, I guess my point is, is like, if, if you start using Puppet config language, what you're doing is you, you're now a Puppet engineer, you're a Puppet software engineer and you've learned Puppet. And I just, I think, in your career, it's wiser to, to learn a programming language. Okay. okay. Yeah. You're advocating for learning the programming language because you can get the same kind of a job done. We have, if we're not software developers, maybe a fear of something like go or C, because as soon as you drop into that, if you've not seen that before, it seems like an awful lot to get your head around and rather cryptic what's going on. Whereas a domain specific language might be a little more friendly to an operator, feel a little more, a little easier to get your head around. But, but Chris, I agree with you under the hood, the the fundamental constructs are the same. You've got operators, you've got conditional uh, statements, you've got looping and iteration, and those things are common everywhere, no matter what language you look at. So it feels like that's the argument you're making. Since fundamentally, it's really the same. And once you get your head around the crypticness of something and the way you express yourself in a given language, learn the more generic programming language you can use everywhere, because why wouldn't you do that? It's more applicable to your career. I also think that honestly, like if, if anybody here has ever written a Helm chart before, I, I think Helm charts are you have to learn more to write a Helm chart than you do to just write a, a, a Go program with a, with a client Go implementation. I feel like 90% of, of, you know, writing any Kubernetes YAML, Helm aside, is learning what it means in Kubernetes that... <laughs> Now we also have to learn what, you know, stick functions are and what, you know, a secondary syntax and we can't really test it. We can't really compile it. It's not going to yell at us when it tells us what line number we messed up on. <laughs> I, I just think that at some point we, we need to just look at what we're doing and, and we just need to ask ourselves, like, are we are, are we introducing complexity because we're afraid of something or are we introducing complexity because we need it? And I, I'm just not convinced that anybody who's who's writing any of these configuration management languages couldn't also be equally as effective in just a regular old programming language. I, I think, and Ethan, you kind of pinpointed this as well. There is a fear there. If I'm coming from an operations background, I'm used to bash scripting or PowerShell scripting or whatever. I'm comfortable with that level of things, but I've also worked a lot in config files. I've, I'm always on some sort of server, opening up a config file, changing some values. That feels familiar and comfortable comfortable to me. And also if I'm working in the cloud, I've used ARM templates or CloudFormation. So that feels kind of normal to me. So it's a natural progression to, to go that way. But then 
you miss out on all the tooling that exists for generalized purpose programming languages. Mm. Well, but but Ned, to follow up on what you were saying, it feels familiar to you. I would say it, it's scoped. It's it's more narrow in definition, so it's less intimidating as well. Whereas a general yes. purpose programming language, Chris, to get your head into stuck into that in the beginning, just that initial learning curve is can be a little overwhelming. What do I do with this thing? It's like being handed paintbrushes and a blank canvas. Make a pretty picture. Uh, how do I do that exactly? So I. I- I completely agree. And what what I look at is like, let's look at the culture behind application and, or traditional software engineers and operations engineers. My I'm an ops, like I'm a girl, but like I'm an ops guy, right? Like this is what I do. <laughs> I, I, I approach problems and I can solve them quickly because I can think in systems. I can be reactive. And honestly, I like the serotonin hit that I get with, with, <laughs> with operations. And so, um, and I know every ops person, every finger quotes here, ops guy that I've met is, is kind of the same way is, is this is what they can look at something and they can say, I get it. And that's the value that we have. And in a world of where that's rewarded, that's why we're paying people. That's why they're here. That's what makes them effective. Their ability to see something and say, I get it and then change it and learn it. Like, I can't tell you how many operations people I've seen in our production system teach themselves a kernel paradigm within five minutes, just because they can just see how it works and watching them piece it all together. And so anyway, in a world where you're only looking at config, that's the only place you're ever going to learn from. So I think that us as a community, as infrastructure management, right? Like we probably have a great responsibility to to share those patterns of saying like, it's a Go file or it's, you know, a, a Ruby file or it's a Python file instead of, you know, proprietary configuration management. And I think that we'll just see that people start to pick it up more and more. And in a world where we have this blank canvas and paintbrushes and and we're surrounded by people who are are able to learn things very quickly. Yeah. I would just like to just start seeing more, more involvement with the operational paradigm of how we function involved with the engineering element of, of how we, we build feature driven work. And I think that's, that's a, that's this hard. Like I said, it's this is a loaded statement. <laughs> but if I think it's easier if you're living in the cloud world, Chris, to go the route that you're talking about. It's harder yeah. if you're coming dealing with traditional infrastructure. If you're still dealing with metal on prem, vendors don't send you down the direction you're describing. I think if you're in AWS or Azure, et cetera, world, then it it is much easier to go down the road. You're saying, Ned, cloud development kits that we recorded about uh, in in recent weeks here. Yeah, yeah. The the fact that, you know, if you want to use Go or Python or whatever, there is a development kit specifically for AWS and Azure and the other major clouds. Or you can just interact directly with their API if you'd prefer to do that. The on-prem stuff, uh, a lot of the times they don't expose an API to you and you have to use whatever their weird proprietary UI is or <laughs> God forbid you have to load up a Java <laughs> applet on the specific <laughs> version to configure your Santa Ray. <laughs> Not that that's ever happened to me. <laughs> so I, if someone's thinking about, all right, I, I'm doing some infrastructure as code now, but I'd like to start making this changeover to infrastructure as software where could they get started? How would they begin bridging that gap? So I, I think this goes back to the operational folks are, are, nat- are natural learners and they're natural observers. So I think there's something to be said about having a good example here. And I think they're, you know, Puppet is a great example of, of writing the software to, to reconcile configuration. I, I think there's a ton of examples in, in Kubernetes. Like if you think about it, if you set load balancer equal to type uh, or service equal to type load balancer. Gosh, I can't believe I just screwed that up. But um, you expect, you expect, especially in the cloud, that there's some concept of a load balancer to be created. In a bare metal world, you have to figure that out on your own, which is probably intrinsically a lot harder to do. But I mean, that's an example of using software to mutate infrastructure and to, to represent infrastructure in a one-to-one way. And that's bundled in an application um, abstraction. So I think a lot of it's going to be understanding that there's going to be some change. And I think there is a little bit of a, a, there's a dance here. You have to understand when it makes sense and when it doesn't. And I, I think for me, the, the turning complete line in the sand is, is like my first big fire alarm that goes off whenever I start seeing a lot of turning complete constructs in 
baked into ways that are that are coupled with some sort of proprietary tooling that gets a little worrisome for me. Um, and then other than that, I, th I think it's it's just finding those use cases where it is it's an easy place to get started. As I found out that uh, building a, a platform in which you can add use cases and features to is actually more valuable than actually solving a use case in the first place. Getting a tool that you roll out to all your systems that you can add a feature to is actually substantially more effective than, than finding that, that first feature. Because once the tool is there, it's relatively easy and it's not a lot of work or investment to, to lose context and switch what you're doing to just add a, yeah, let's go configure the switch. Let's go you know, flip out a node. Let's go change the file system. Let's reformat this hard drive, you know, whatever. Um, you can, you, you, having a place is more important than having the feature in my mind. So I would say that's, that's, a, that's a good starting point as well. We pause the episode for a bit of training talk, training with CBT Nuggets. If you're a day two cloud listener, you are, you're listening to it right now, then you're probably the sort of person who likes to keep up your skills as am I. Now, here's the thing about cloud as I've dug into it over the last few years. It's the same as on-prem, but different. The networking is the same, but different due to all these operational constraints you don't expect. And just when you have your favorite way to set up your cloud environment, the cloud provider changes things or offers a new service that makes you rethink what you've already built. So how do you keep up with this? Training. And this is an ad for a training company. So what did you think I was going to say? Obviously training. And not just because sponsor CBT Nuggets wants your business, but also because training is how I've kept up with emerging technology over the decades. I believe in the power of smart instructors telling me all about the new tech so that I can walk into a conference room as a consultant or a project lead and confidently position a technology to business stakeholders and financial decision makers. So you want to be smarter about cloud? CBT Nuggets has a lot of offerings for you from absolute beginner material to courses covering AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud skills. Let's say you want to go narrow on a specific topic. Okay, well, there's a two-hour course on Azure security. Maybe you want to go big, wide, alrighty. There's a 42-hour AWS certified SysOps administrator course and lots more cloud training offerings in the CBT Nuggets catalog. I gave you just a couple of examples to whet your appetite. In fact, CBT Nuggets is adding 40 hours of new content every week and they help you master your studies with available virtual labs and accountability coaching. Interested? Of course you are, so satisfy your curious mind by visiting cbtnuggets.com slash cloud and figure out if CBT Nuggets will work for your training with their seven days free trial. Just go do it. cbtnuggets.com slash cloud for seven days free. That's cbtnuggets.com slash cloud. And now back to the podcast I so rudely interrupted. There's a there's an element of this that we've skipped over, Chris. That is, if you've never been a programmer before, do you think there's any kind of a hurdle worth mentioning about things like IDEs, um, getting your head around libraries and just the, the, those fundamentals? Or is that you, you keep saying ops folks are just they just absorb all this knowledge. They're just so smart, the whole bunch of them. And so we don't need to even worry about that. I mean, I, I'm not trying to say ops folks are able to just learn everything. I'm saying that's how they learn. At least in my experience, right? Like, uh, no, I, I got into my day job. I, I didn't go to college. I didn't have a degree. I, I read a few books and I watched, right? I, I watched people. I paid attention. I learned. I listened. And I feel like most ops folks, and this is like a blanket statement, so like, you know, big asterisk here. I feel like most ops folks at some point in their careers find value in, in watching, observing, and, and learning. And, and that's, I, I think that's just part of the industry, right? Like, with the, we're... we're as operations folks, we're rewarded for, for being able to solve problems quickly. So, um, yeah, I mean, learning a programming language is, it's a lot of work, right? It's, I put it on par with learning Vim or Emacs or Linux. It's a lifetime of work and programming languages change. And you really have to like accept the fact that this is going to be part of what you're, what you're doing. Um, I just like, I just keep going back to that. I don't, I think there's not that much of a difference between mm -hmm some of the configuration management tools that I seen and, and porting that over to a configure or to a proper programming language. So yeah. I would say that if you're at the point where you're, you're lightning fast at writing public config and a public config and a if statement is no big deal for you. And you've, you've learned some of these lessons and you've been running it and you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of puppet chances are, it's not going to be that big of a jump for you to get into a programming language. So if anything, this is just more of, of me trying to push folks into to accepting the fact and, and letting them know that it's not, 
as big and as scary as it may seem. Programming language documentation is written for programmers. And yeah, I, that, anyway, I'll, I'll shut up here and let you guys respond. <laughs> no, I just, I think it's really interesting that the point you made was if, if you're using a config management software that already has conditional statements in it, you're already programming. Yeah, exactly. Maybe like training wheels programming, but you're already programming. And actually, I mean, at least in my experience, because of the fact that we don't think of it as software, the tooling that surrounds it just isn't there. So if you want to do unit testing on Terraform, you have to go to go to do that because that just does not exist in in the HCL language. And same thing with Helm. Like you brought that up. And of course, (laughs) I had flashbacks of writing a Helm chart with logic in it and then trying to debug it. And that was one of the more painful experiences that I've ever had uh, because I, I, it was something stupid that I missed, but of course the linter doesn't pick it up and there's no easy way to debug it. So you're just stuck going, ah, why? So <laughs> like in your ideal world, would, would it be more that you would write software in something like go or Python that would then produce the config that can be ingested by something else. Is that sort of the, the workflow that you'd advocate for? I mean, there's a, there's a tool out there. I think it's called CD Cates that came out on Amazon that kind of does this. I'll reserve my thoughts and, and opinions and feelings on that tool for another day. I've never used it. I've just read the readme. Um, I, I personally would not build a tool that goes from programming language to config to software to production or to system, you know, whatever that system may be. Again, that you know, that's four that's four hops to get to mutating the server. Um, I, I think what I'm I'm really advocating for here is as if you're in a world where you're writing Helm charts and you're doing conditional things and you're iterating and you're doing these Turing complete constructs, all of these tools are good. I just am challenging that they're never going to be Go good. They're never going to be Python good. They're never going to be you know Ruby good. Um, and, and I, I think that's because they, that's not what they set out to do. So I, I'm not trying to say there was anything wrong with them or that there's anything like that they could do better. I'm just saying that, that they were built for a different reason, right? Programming languages were built to be generic and have unit tests and give people everything they need to, to build Turing complete software for whatever their use case may be. And it's more of a raw resource than it is like a, a custom resource. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I just think that, that that's going to be a natural jump after we get into this configuration management bit as engineers. Do you think it matters which language an operator would pick? Because you've thrown around Python, Ruby, uh, I think Java's come up, Go has definitely come up, um, but these aren't interchangeable. The, each of these languages, they're, they're actually rather different when you get into them and how they're structured, how they express themselves, community support, and so on. So there's two answers. There's a technical answer and there's the human answer. The human answer is pick the one you're most familiar with. In a world where we have people who who learn through osmosis and are successful at looking at the state of systems and teaching themselves like common truths about these systems and applying those truths later for different reasons. If you're in a world where you're doing, you know, if, if you're like, what is puppets written in Ruby, I believe, right? At least originally it was Ruby. I, I don't know if that's still the case, but yeah. Uh, let's say we have a tool like Puppet, Puppet that is written in Ruby. I, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of, of constructs of the Ruby programming language that trickle into that tool, which means your chances are you're already probably pretty familiar with them. And you're just need to sit down and realize that these constructs have a name and you're actually probably pretty opinionated about them and, and have a lot of uh, a lot of thoughts and feelings about some of them. Some of them you might like, some of them you might not like. And I think like as a human, part of, of, of going through and learning these languages and developing your own opinions is going to be a part of it. So don't don't completely start in left field. You know, if you're, there's already something you're familiar with, I think it makes sense to continue down that path. And if you look at, let's take Helm again, which ever, I think we're all familiar with, like Helm unit testing or Helm chart testing, which is written in Go, like there's your there's your hook in to go. Right. You're struggling mm-hmm. with with finding where, you know, your your line number is that you you've messed up interpolating your YAML. And then you start writing a test to fix it. Well, guess what? You're writing a Go unit test. <laughs> and I hate to say it, but writing a Go unit test for text template and YAML interpolation at runtime, probably not the best introduction to Go there is out there. <laughs> and I, that's and I'm just I'm just trying to tell people that, you know, give it a shot. Give Go a shot. Give Ruby a shot. Give Python a shot. 
And I think you'll be surprised how much of it you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy and how much of it will make sense to you. Yeah. If I could share how that resonates with me is um, I do a lot of work in Terraform and Terraform's written in Go. And when I started working on some of the functions or using some of the functions that exist in Terraform, I was like, oh, I really wish this other function existed. And I started doing a little digging into the source code. And I was like, wait, they're just re-implementing all of the Go functions, but they're exposing them to the HCL uh, language. So all of those functions exist. It's just a matter of, oh, that one doesn't exist in Terraform yet. Just, you know, port it over and expose it through HCL and, and you're good to go. And I was like, oh, I, I bet I could do this if I just look at an example of how they did it once and then do it for the function that I actually want. And it worked uh, without me knowing a whole lot about Go, because I, like you said, I kind of picked it up a little <laughs> bit just from being steeped in it and picking up the hints that were in HCL. A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. William Shakespeare. <laughs> an if statement is an if statement, no matter where you happen to see it, right? You mm. know, all, all string to lower, string to upper, you know, split string, yep. right? A, a mm -hmm. rose is a rose, right? Like we can we can wrap it up in an abstraction and, and call it a configuration management language, or you can remove that layer of complexity. And uh, that's that's what I'm advocating for here is if you're yeah. splitting strings and you're looping over things and you're building complex logical systems, sweetie, you're a programmer. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the club, right? Like, <laughs> Chris, you I, gave the answer I was hoping that you were going to give because I, I, my <laughs> philosophy is kind of the same thing. I, I spend most of my time in, in Python because as it happens, I deal with a lot of networking gear and there happen to be a lot of libraries written uh, in Python that support the networking world. And so that's been the path of least resistance for me. The fastest way to get things done doesn't mean I wouldn't switch over to something else because as you say, once you start looking under the hood, everything gets pretty similar, you know, ultimately with the way it's structured and the way it works. You just got to get your head around the syntax and some of the, certainly to some languages that are a bit peculiar in how they do things. But uh, once you get your head around it, it's kind of the same. Yeah. I, I think there's a reason that, you know, we see a lot of these common functions across programming language libraries. There's a reason we we have the concept of logging and standard out and you know string manipulation. You know if your string contains these are all and the syntax is different and you know Python is better than some languages at dealing with sets of strings or sets of ints and things like that. But ultimately, as you start thinking about problems and what you're dealing with, you know, with a system that's in front of you, I think there's a natural evolution to to programming, and I think. It's really easy to to miss the boat, so to speak, when you're when you're as an operations engineer, as an infrastructure engineer, when you're you're brought up in this config management, you know, onesie twosie scripts to get the job done. It's really easy to miss the point of where you go. I'm actually a full fledged software engineer, and once you kind of miss that that turning point, I found that folks actually get kind of double down on configuration management, and that can come back to hurt people. Uh, or not necessarily hurt people, but it can come back to introduce a lot more complexity than it was intended to. Right. Yeah, it's the complexity that really kills. It's adding yeah. complexity and abstractions when you don't need them. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about, where if I write software that then creates a text file, which is then ingested by a different piece of software to create the resource, like <laughs> there's so many places where that linkage can break or screw up or be misconstrued between the two. Wouldn't it be easier if it was just I write some software that configures a resource and I'm done? <laughs> This, this is like I tweeted this the other day. I, I think we've all seen like the, the never ending USB adapter that like it goes from like a serial port to like a PS2 port. Right. And then like you have like these 12 things yeah. and then you have a USB plug at the end. And then it's like, ironically, usually that serial port is right next to a USB port. And it's like at some point you, you just need to realize that like you've gotten to this very complicated system by only doing the right thing. You know, you know, year after year, you went to the server room and added the adapter you needed. And then all of a sudden, like you're you're left with this USB port. And like at some point, somebody just needs to walk up to the server and rip the old adapters out and just go straight into the server. And that's kind of what I'm saying here is, is at some point we need to just stop and, and realize that it's it's possible to get a lot of complexity by by always doing the right thing. And at some point, if you continue to do things the way you're doing, you're just going to be going through that same like endless chain of, of USB complexity that you don't necessarily <laughs> need. I like that. It's not anyone's fault. It's not like people did things wrong along the way. Yeah. It's just you, you're trying to do the right thing. And that was the best option available at the time. Maybe now it's time to reassess. It is. Yeah. And, and what, when you reassess, like if you come up, take a breath, you know, do what you need to do, 
take a week off work, whatever. A lot of the things you care about, I found out, are, are, are natural learning points in a programming language. You want to learn how to send an HTTP request. You want to learn how to create a resource in, in you know, AWS. You want to learn how to, to you know, mutate a string or you want to how to you know, do these basic paradigms. These are, these are there at your fingertips. And uh, it's surprising how, how natural a lot of this can come with just a little bit of time and patience. I think to a certain degree, at least this has been my personal experience, is because I did not start out as a programmer and I'm not a programmer by trade, I don't want to call myself a developer. You know, there's this imposter syndrome I feel by saying, oh, you know, as a developer, because I keep there's this voice in my back of my head that goes, you're not a developer. You just write PowerShell. <laughs> it's kind of like you have to tell that little voice that it's wrong. Do you think that's something that's standing in the way of ops engineers today? Is they they think of themselves a but I'm not a developer, right? Absolutely. Which is why I'm over here yelling about infrastructure as software because I, I do think it it comes from within. You know, it's it's like you know I feel like the lorix. I speak for the trees, right? Like I'm <laughs> I'm over here telling people like. You are a developer. You are writing software. Software means turning complete systems and you're doing that. Your system changes at runtime if this is set to true or if this is set to false. That is software. That's what you're doing. And, and I think that like if I can't encourage people enough to just like accept the fact that they are, whether they want to be or not, software engineers. And I want to welcome them with open arms. Welcome to the party. I mean, it sucks here. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not fun, but like, <laughs> welcome. Like at, at the very least, like if we're going to be mad about software, let's be mad about software together. I love that. <laughs> welcome to the party. It's, it's awful, but at least we can all have an awful experience together. And actually, I think it could be a better experience if you're bringing more people into the conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this I, has been a... And go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, like, I, I it's it's always easier to think that the, there's this magical point in the future that like is going to make everything better. You know, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm getting ready to move my house and all around me in the house. There's it's just like, you know, the couches behind me, the heftio pillows, this microphone. This is all a reflection of things that my past self said. If I can only get that, the world's going to be better and it's going to be better <laughs> when I get there. And at some point, like you just need to stop and enjoy it and you need to like let let your the past version of yourself kind of enjoy that the, these are all things that you worked hard to get and i what i'm trying to say is there's a big big hurdle in moving from configuration management to software engineering and i think you know that starts with the name of course and the fact that it's a very confusing paradigm but more so there's this like this inability to think to take a look around you and actually appreciate what you've done but like one way of saying it is i wrote puppet, you know, professionally for three years. Another way of saying it is I wrote, you know, software systems that that manage production enterprise servers and was able to iterate quickly and solve problems for a business. And I, I can't advocate for folks to be on the ladder of those two enough. Right, right. The, the second sounds so much more impressive, <laughs> but it, they're, they're functionally equivalent. And I, I don't know, it's 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 a different way to think of thinking of things. And I, I really appreciate the way that you put it. It's given me a little more, uh, maybe a kick in the butt to actually go and learn Go because I've been meaning to forever. And it's just been, well, but I know enough to get by. It's like, well, maybe it's, it's worth crossing that that hurdle or getting over that hurdle to learn a general purpose programming language because my life I, will be better at the end. <laughs> I also think that the programming, like the engineers also are, are a little guilty of this as well, right? You know, if you join any engineering org or team or project or group or whatever, you know, for, for a constant theme being we're understaffed, we need people, we don't have enough good senior engineers, we need help, we need help, we need help. It, for someone who goes around saying that a lot, we sure do put a lot of hurdles between going from turning complete configuration management to writing software to manage infrastructure. And it's it's kind of like I'm over here just like, but they we these people know how to do what we need, right? Like they know how to write if statements. They understand what a server is. They under they probably know more about routing and networking than you do, bro. Right? Like like let's <laughs> let's let them come and let let's we're all working on the same team here. And so I would I would certainly, certainly say that, like, if you're a software engineer listening to this, welcome your your newly found configuration management brethren to the infrastructure as software (laughs) 
you know, society, for lack of a better term, but also as, as an infrastructure management person. Um, yeah, you know, it's really not that big of a gap and believe in yourself and trust yourself because this this is what you're doing. You are an engineer and this is what you're good at. And you just need to call it something else so that the engineers can can hear what you're saying. And all you're really doing is just delivering the same message on their terms. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I gotta say, this has been a fascinating conversation. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Are there any like key takeaways beyond what you've already said that you'd like for the audience to hear? Um, key takeaways. I mean, I like, don't listen to me. I'm crazy. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I have these thoughts for myself cause, cause this is just the path that I've gone down. So I, I definitely think that in general, tech, the tech industry is, is subject to this whole, like, I, I feel like this is like Western medicine, right? You know, take a pill and you're, you're cured, right? Like, what's the solution? That's like, where's my, my antibiotic for, for my teen that I can just take for, you know, once a day for six days and then it, my problems are magically gone. I don't, I don't think this, this is that type. We're not going to see that type of solution here. Uh, I think this is more of a cultural problem. And I think this is more of a, how do we start bringing these two, these two, what we're traditionally tightly coupled yet very culturally different paradigms into one harmonious working space. I think Kubernetes did a good job at that. You know, we started to tiptoe into infrastructure management from software land. Um, and I think we like, we can go further. We can, we can, we can keep pushing on this and we can keep bringing this together as a holistic paradigm. And so that would be my big key takeaway is, is really thinking about this as, it's an opportunity to get involved and it's an opportunity for you to grow. And that's that to me, that's more important to how we're looking at the culture and, and the problem than it is about, you know, it doesn't matter if you're using Terraform or Puppet or Chef. What matters is that like we're solving problems as a team and that we're approaching this in, in ways of, of harmony instead of trying to, to keep these things separated for some unknown reason. Awesome. That was that was a great key takeaway. All right. If folks want to follow you, uh, are you active on social media? Do you have a blog you'd like to to promote? Uh, yeah. Twitter.com slash Chris Nova or my blog is nivenly.com. Um, I you they all point to each other. So if you find me anywhere, you should be able to you know find enough links to the other things. I, I stream on Twitch. I do everything from work on the Linux kernel to infrastructure management. Um, I work at Twilio. My day job is managing enterprise servers at scale with Kubernetes. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm around. It's not too terribly hard to find me. Awesome. We will include links in the show notes. Well, Chris Nova, thank you so much for being a guest today on Day 2 Cloud. Thank you. And hey, listeners out there, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, you know, we'd love to hear them. You can hit either of us up on Twitter at day two cloud show, or you can fill out the form on my fancy website, nedinthecloud.com. Hey, uh, speaking of my fancy website, I recently launched a totally redesigned version of my site. It's easier to navigate, more visually appealing because somebody else did it and more performant. So definitely check it out and let me know what you think. That's nedinthecloud.com. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.